ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. It's another week and that means a brand new episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Coming up this week, the sickening state of our water infrastructure as Gauteng and the Free State face a cholera outbreak. The era of disinformation gets more complicated as AI-generated images fool even the most alert news consumer. And they might be pretty, but succulent plants are facing an existential threat. There's a lot to get through, so let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. I'm standing in for Masake Kana this week as she's unfortunately battling about a flu. My name is Lasagna Nsa von Rensburg and I am the online editor for Carte Blanche. And with me today is Queenan Maswabi from Daily Maverick. How are you, Queenan? I'm good, Lasagna. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just really, really cold. I'm not ready for winter, I must say. I don't think anyone was ready for winter this year. Um, it came quite early when we were all just, you know, still thinking that we've got time. It's still gonna, we're still gonna have some cool weather before we have the harsh winter season. I'm gonna get straight into the topic that's kind of been on everyone's mind, and I think that's concerning everyone is the cholera outbreak in Hamans Kral and also now some cases in the Free State. And this is a clear and concerning reflection on the state of our country. What are your thoughts on this issue? Hundred percent, Lazan. My concern is that this cholera issue, not even the cholera issue, but the water issue, came into play years back in the city of Tsai, mm. and. Obviously, the political parties who have been in charge in the city have not really prioritized making sure that this water issue is solved. So when you look at Mm. 2016, that's the first year when the DA got an opportunity to govern. And they pride themselves in being this party that's able to govern well. And they have this case study of the city of Cape Town. However, they were unable to turn the situation around. And they do blame the political instability in the city for not being able to do so because of coalitions. There was a point where they were placed under administration. Basically, there have been ups and downs generally in the city, which is reflecting in what's happening right now with the cholera outbreak. We've touched on on coalitions quite a few times in past episodes in this series where we kept emphasizing the fact that these coalitions, the instability around them, always lead to things falling through the cracks in really massive and human ways. And I mean, it cannot be more clear than the cholera outbreak. Yeah, for sure. I think that has a role in what's happening right now. But definitely there has been a decline in our water infrastructure in the country. So this is not only exclusive to Hamanskral and Gauteng, but I am from the Northern Cape. And I can tell you that in Kimberley, which is the capital city, there has not been clean tap water for years. So now there's an emergence of retailers who sell water because that's how we live in Kimberley. You need to stock up on water, especially Mm. drinking water. And I think it's it's an overall issue in the country. Mm. But I think that I've seen it firsthand in my hometown. 
And I just mm. didn't think that it would spread to other towns and especially a metro like the city of Tswane. So it's got a lot to do with the water infrastructure as well. And I do believe that, you know, it's, it's time for national government to really step up and ensure that all these issues are solved because, you know, it's happening everywhere. Etequini also has its own water issues. Whether it's cholera or not, they do have issues, you know. When photos showing dark smoke billowing from the Pentagon and the White House in the United States started circulating online, members of the public and the US markets responded with shock. Circulated by supposed verified Twitter accounts bearing the blue tick mark, the images soon went viral. But internet sleuths soon realized there was something fishy about these images. So taking us into our next story, we saw how AI-generated images were used on a fairly large scale on Twitter to really cause chaos, mostly in the U.S. for just a few hours. And, and these images showed attacks on the White House and the Pentagon, and they went viral. But also another aspect of that that was very interesting for me was that these images were disseminated by Twitter accounts that now have a fairly worthless blue verification badge. What are your thoughts on AI-generated content? I mean, in a world where it's already rife with misleading and fake news, have you wrapped your head around AI-generated content yet? I love technology. I like anything that's going to be advanced and take us to the next level. But I really do care about humans. I do believe that there are certain things that shouldn't be taken away from us, like talent, like being able to use our own talents as humans and not being overtaken by AI. Even, <laughs> as, even journalists, like I'm also under threat. So I do mm -hmm. think a lot about the human element of it all. Have you used any of the AI tools or are you just saying, nope, I'm, I'm sticking to old school methods. Thank you very much. I think because the systems haven't been refined to the point where it's 100% accurate. So it's a work in progress at the moment. So I wouldn't really mm. recommend that anyone completely rely on AI at the moment because I think, you know, they're still working on perfecting these apps. However, in future, I do think that I would be interested in seeing what AI apps can help me with as a journalist. We do deal with a lot of research, a lot of data that we need to put together for our stories. And we need to understand so quickly just because of the pace of the news cycle. So I would definitely consider that in future. I'm still a bit nervous about it. I'll be honest. I am too. And I think also something we need to watch out for very carefully is how it's going to affect the schooling system. I think there are stories already on social media where kids have used ChatGPT to formulate or to draw up their essays. And, you know, I think in the U.S., a teacher noticed and said, you know, I'm, I'm giving you zero because you know that you didn't write this essay. So mm. <laughs> there are many dangers as much as there's excitement around new technology and what we call in South Africa 4IR, our government, just like other governments around the world, should try to see if we can start thinking around forming legislation, which is going to ensure that us as humans, we never threatened. I think that we, we need to start thinking in that direction. 
They were popular before the COVID-19 pandemic struck and have grown in popularity ever since. Succulents are all the rage as influencers and plant collectors try and get their hands on the most unique plants. But environmentalists are sounding the alarm as succulent poaching in South Africa reaches new, concerning levels. A few years back, Carte Blanche did a story on something I don't think many of us were aware of. I personally wasn't aware of it, and that was succulent poaching. And last week, Daily Maverick had a really eye-opening piece on exactly this issue. I just want to quickly read a quote from Dr. Karina Becker de Toure, who's at the forefront of fighting against succulent poaching. We have been getting between three and seven plant confiscation cases coming in every week, mostly from the Northern Cape. And the number of plants in each case can vary between a thousand and ten thousand plants. I mean, that's crazy. And many of these plants are on the IUCN red list, meaning they're frighteningly close to extinction. And it's also estimated that about 1.5 million succulents had been illegally removed from the wild over the last three years. I mean, were you aware of this at all? I like to say I'm a plant mom, but I was so embarrassed that I didn't know <laughs> a thing about this, you know. But as I started reading up on what's happening around endangered plants and succulents, I was quite intrigued, you know. I didn't know there's an entire illegal ring of people who are trying to sell these plants. And I didn't know, you know, how long it takes to actually have a fully grown succulent that you can sell. Mm. I just didn't know all this and that it's so sought after, especially in countries like China and its surrounds. It, it's a very interesting topic and story. And I think maybe more awareness needs to be raised. I think most mm. of us don't know that we, we care so much about endangered animals. When you go to these markets and you look on Instagram and you look on TikTok and everywhere, I mean, it's, they make them look so pretty and you just want to, you almost want to hug them. That's how cute they are. But you don't understand that a lot of the times those plants were literally ripped from the ground and put in a bag to sell illegally for Instagram likes or whatever the case may be. So I think it's very important that people become aware of this. The fact is it's impacting entire ecosystems in the Northern Cape at this point. Listen, I think what was really interesting to me again is that the one point that was made in the article was that these plants don't just grow anyway. So even mm. if there's a situation where these poachers do get the plants and they are caught, environmentalists also struggle to get them into the right environment in order to allow for these plants to yet again grow and flourish. I think because succulents are, are like drought plants, they're very resilient. People assume that, you know, it's just easy. You can just put a succulent anywhere and it's, it's going to grow. But I think there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of understanding that needs to go into how you grow a succulent and how successful you are in doing that. So ripping these plants out of the ground is just the worst thing because most mm. environmentalists complain that they don't know where to take the plants. They don't, they're not sure which area they were taken from. They're not sure if they will be resilient enough to continue growing after the fact. Something interesting that I noticed was that they spoke about the unemployment rate in the Northern Cape. And one of the former poachers said that it's a way for people to make a quick buck and that uh, before COVID-19, poachers would actually come into the country to steal these plants. 
However, mm. after COVID, it's become something that locals are doing to get by. And again, yeah. government, government needs to address socioeconomic issues so that we are not in that situation where people are literally ruining the environment and they're doing so so they can put food on their table. It's the statistic that left many South Africans horrified, with over 80% of grade four learners unable to read for meaning in any language, the future of our youth is quite literally on the line. Now, as government proposes a new national reading plan, is it enough to turn things around? Speaking of socioeconomic issues, it's been in the headlines for a number of weeks after a study, which we reported on as well, came out stating that over 80% of grade four learners are unable to read for meaning in any language. Now governments have suddenly come out fighting, saying they've revised essays, reading plan, and they claim these amendments came before the study was published, but some analysts are not quite convinced. They're saying that government is probably just trying to do some damage control. Now, the new plan is uh, focusing heavily on home language literacy and providing added support for English as the first additional language. Is it enough for governments to say, oh, well, we've adjusted the plan now and here you go, when there are so many systemic issues that they need to fix as well? I think teachers always get a raw deal in South Africa, period. So it's, it's been an issue that the country has been dealing with for many, many years. My mom is a teacher. So I've been to the school where she teaches. I've seen how they are slightly under-resourced. The Department of Education, for some reason, has really tried. I think they do have teacher assistants and they do have young people coming in to assist teachers. However, I don't think it's enough at this point. I think the number of teachers at schools maybe needs to be beefed up, especially in public schools because they say the right to education is a basic human right in our country, there should be efforts by government to ensure that every single child in a classroom is able to get the required attention so that we do not get these you know, studies every single year showing that children in schools are not really learning because that's basically what the study says. Unemployment figures remain high, especially among the youth, as the South African economy takes a hammering from all sides. But it's not all doom and gloom, as tech company Gendermark Automation encourages job seekers to consider going the artisanal route. But as Queenan emphasizes, society first needs to change its view on skill-based careers. A leading South African tech company recently emphasized the country's shortage of qualified artisans after they noticed a big drop in qualified workers in this sector. I mean, in 2022, the Department of Higher Education, Science and Innovation said South Africa needed at least 60% of school leavers to pursue artisan type training to meet the country's demands for scarce skills. But there's been a notable decline in the number of applications in this field. So do you think that the sector could be our unemployment fix? And I mean, how do we convince the youth that the sector is a viable option, that it's something worth considering? So in South Africa, there are certain jobs growing up I felt were the most desirable and the highest paying, like being an accountant, mm. a lawyer, a doctor, 
those are the mainstream jobs that everyone wants to do and that's why there's a gap because also at school they don't emphasize the possibility of other jobs i absolutely hate our system because there's a system of you either do science or you do accounting there's no stream even for people like us who are journalists producers people in media so i think that the mm. schooling system firstly kind of puts us in a, a very tough situation as south africans because you just are not told about certain jobs and they are not promoted in a certain way no one wants to be an artisan it's not seen as a desirable job it's also not seen as one of the jobs you go to university for just because you don't need a university degree to be an artisan necessarily and you can go to a more technical university i think people look down on this profession and we going back to government <laughs> i need to be this person i really need to be this person but there needs to be a deliberate campaign by government to ensure that young people know about artisanship and know that maybe there are particular bursaries that they can take on there should be mechanisms in place to ensure that young people are are informed about it and they do understand that it's possible to make quite a good living from being an artisan and there's nothing wrong with it there's there's a massive gap there for them and i really really hope they grab it with with both hands and just go for it well on that note i'm wrapping it up for us thank you so much for joining me today queenan okay was well, great chatting to you levan thank you so much have a good week you too thanks for listening In case you missed any of our earlier episodes, you can find them all now on Spotify and all other major platforms. Also, head on over to the Carte Blanche and Daily Maverick websites for more insightful content.